Welcome to Slow and Steady, the podcast where you get to follow along as we figure out how to build products and recover from burnout. I'm Brian. And I'm Benedict. Each week, we'll give you an honest peek into our lives as we figure things out. Today is January 26th, and I'm feeling thoughtful. This is episode number 75, and I am feeling inspired. So today is a little bit different. AD PNR uh, joined us to talk about his new book, Life Profitability, The New Measure of Entrepreneurial Success. We had such a delightful conversation, and I'm certain that you're going to enjoy it. So let's get on with the show. Well, great. We are, yeah, we are joined today uh, by AD PNR. Uh, AD, you've written a book called Life Profitability, The New Measure of Entrepreneurial Success. So... Um, for, for listeners who, who may not be aware that you are a three time three X founder, um, of successful companies like Woo Themes and Convergio, can you, can you give us just a little bit of your, uh, your background and your bio, a few things that led you to the point where you wanted to write a book about life profitability? Yeah, totally. And like, gents, firstly, thanks for, for having me. That's, that's the first thing, right? Uh, second thing, Brian, I'm totally getting you to like just do that kind of you know, hype and intro, like whenever I, like, I appear anywhere, like <laughs> now, like the book title so perfectly, I still, like my tongue gets tied. So like you definitely have a radio voice there. So thanks for like you're starting on a, on a highlight cool. there. Cool. Any, anytime you need a, a hype man to, to follow you around Europe, I, I'm your guy. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> totally kind of keep that in mind. Um, yeah. So, I mean, kind of by way of introduction, um, and I, I would assume, guys, by the way, that um, not because I have this massive reputation, but I think many of the kind of your know, slow and steady kind of your know, uh, listeners, the audience would probably kind of overlap with the, the audiences and kind of communities that I've, you know, been you know, active in in the last couple of years. So, like, I'll keep the, the, the bio a bit short, but essentially, um, you know, and kind of where the book comes from is, you know, building, selling, you know, to software businesses, which is the thing that, or the things that people most point to, right? That, those are the things that you, gets used in kind of one-liners in a biography. But I think along the way, that there, there are so many things that people don't see about my journey, at least, and many other entrepreneurs. But for my journey, I think there are the kind of the failures kind of in between, right? N nobody speaks you know, or asked me about kind of the, the start of the failed between, you know, exiting kind of with into commerce and starting Converger, right? Like that gets kind of lost. Um, nobody speaks about the mistakes that I made that weren't going to end up not being fatal, right? Um, and crucially kind of, you know, nobody asked me about kind of the life costs that went into kind of building these businesses, right? And, you know, but in all honesty, like I, for the biggest part of that journey, I was not aware of the life costs that I were, you know, was accruing along that kind of journey. So that's kind of why I'm here today. Um, I said I, I am a successful entrepreneur and founder, um, and yet I believe that there's a there's a better way forward uh, for myself and all entrepreneurs. And the book really is about you know putting some of those ideas out into the world. Mm -hmm. I I love. Well, yeah, yeah. So I want to ask you about the opening quote in the book and the opening chapter. I think that the the thing that I'm loving about it, it is just completely sprinkled uh, all the way through with these incredibly inspirational quotes and just your own philosophy. Like there's there's as much poetry and philosophy from you in this as hey, yeah, I'm you know a quote unquote successful you know entrepreneur with a, a number of very nice exits in your in your background, but you don't lead with that at all, um, or at least that's that's my take. And so I'm I'm finding that to be 
completely, completely refreshing and different. And so, um, just want to want to mention that. But I, so I want to ask you. You know, I, lo- I love that you open the the book with a quote from Thoreau. Um, this amazing quote: "The cost of a thing is the amount of what I will call life, which is required to be exchanged for it, immediately or in the long run." Why did you decide to open the book with that quote? Yeah, I think, you know, when I when I read that, um, again, take, just taking a step back, uh, right, mm-hmm. I, I think, like, firstly, the, the reason why I don't lead with this kind of notion of, you know, here's 80 success, here's the whole resume, here's why you should kind of read the book, is I actually don't think that that's the thing that qualifies me to write this book. I think the thing that I'm kind of more proud about uh, myself is um, my ability to learn new things and my ability to kind of in my words, connect non-obvious dots, right? And I think in my own journey the last couple of years and the journey that kind of part of the journey that inspired writing, you know, my book, Life Profitability, I drew on so many different kind of new sources, whether it was kind of philosophy, whether it was poetry, whether it's like, whether it was science fiction books, like anything that was pretty much not kind of a how-to, you know, business self-help book. Because I also don't believe in that, but um, but that's a kind of your, uh, another kind of segue. So when I kind of, as I was building out these and fleshing out this initial idea of, you know, what, and initially I didn't call it life profitability, by the way. I Like the ideas stem from, you know, within my team, at Convergio, where we would speak about building kinder, better businesses, both for ourselves and our customers. Like that was the initial kind of spark. And then I came across this quote from Thoreau, and he, just that notion of like, whatever we do in life, the cost we pay for that is life itself, right? And that sounds morbid, but I think there's a positive spin to it, which is just that we should just recognize that any pursuit, anything that we pursue, any decision we make, like we're trading, there's an opportunity cost. There is something else there, firstly, and sometimes there are actual costs, right? I mean, the th- costs that like I often, you know, for example, neglected is um, I neglected friendships, right? I neglected my marriage at times. Um, I often kind of you know, float in and out of exercising as a kind of um, as an example. Like those were the kind of the costs that I accrued along the way that I wasn't necessarily kind of aware of. So that's why that kind of throughout quote kind of really, really resonated with me. Yeah. And that's, so that's interesting too, because, you know, the, the concepts that you're talking about there, you know, what are you willing to trade in your life over here for what you're doing in your work? Um, and ideally, you know, you're doing these things in your work because it, you know, allows you to leverage things in your life and have experiences that you wouldn't otherwise. And so a lot of people will introduce this concept of work-life balance, which you feel is an incomplete, uh, an incomplete concept. Can you talk a little bit about that and and why you think that is the case? Yeah, and um, like before, before I share my hot take on on work life balance, I think you know the, the, the key thing for me there, Brian, is that you know so often my kind of just me building businesses, I would tell people this year, I like I do this for my family. And if you ask my family, like, is this what they want from me? Like, they would not have kind of said that, right? And it's not as binary as kind of either or, right? There's a, I think there's a, a kind of a truth um, and a path forward in between those two things. But I think many entrepreneurs, myself particularly, I was not being honest with myself at times um, there. So, like, I think that's key. Like, that idea of, you know, when you say you're doing this for other people is actually checking in and making sure that that is 
actually the truth, right? And not just building these kind of narratives ourselves. Because as entrepreneurs, we're really good at building narratives, right? We're really good at mm -hmm. telling stories generally and selling ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, but that doesn't kind of necessarily um, create value for, for, for those around us, right? Um, so the reason I think kind of work-life balance doesn't kind of your work, right, is, is purely because it proposes this idea that kind of work and life are these two completely independent things and that they can keep each other in balance, right? And I think there's just so much kind of bleeding there, right? So between those two things, because we all know what happens, like when we have a crap day at work, like we take that back home, right? Um, like we take that into kind of arguments with our spouses, not being present with our kids, not wanting to do fun stuff, right? So there's yep. always kind of bleeding time and vice versa. So I think that universally doesn't work, right? Because there is just kind of interdependence and an interplay between those two things. But broader than that, I think work is just part of life, right? Like, I don't think we kind of, we love to work. So work is just part of life. And when I think about finding balance and finding kind of space in one's life, I think about, you know, how do I balance work with all those other things that are important, with, you know, in, within my life, which whether it's family, friends, health, sleep, side projects, passion projects, hobbies, like whatever those other things are, like that doesn't really matter. Every, I think every individual has their own life portfolio there, but just like an investment portfolio, that's how I would think about balancing those things. And it's not just two components. It can't just be work and life. Because um, mm -hmm. I think like, you know, you're always tipping the scale in a very binary manner there. And I don't think that, that I don't think that gets people to the ultimate outcome that they were hoping for. Mm -hmm. I I completely agree with you about about all of that. I mean, the the notion of yeah, I'm doing this for my family. Um, well, there are many many times that my wife and kiddos upstairs would say, "Well, hey, Dad, in in that case, stop <laughs> because because <laughs> this isn't this isn't working." Um, so I I completely agree about all that. The the tension that I that I experience and that I see uh, and find is you know, all of those things that, that we're talking about here that we do want to balance against this entrepreneurial archetype of suffering and, and overwork, et cetera, hobbies, time with family, experiences in life, et cetera, et cetera. Those, those things require resources to be able to do and enjoy and to have the freedom of time to be able to do those things guilt-free, to have the the money to do those things without putting yourself in an untenable situation. And so there's that that tension there that, well, yeah, to, to do those things and to get there, I, I gotta have, I gotta put some money in the bank. And so I, I gotta make this business work. That that tension feels extremely real. And what what's your what is your what what do you say to to, to people who agree with everything that you just said philosophically, but when the rubber meets the road, look, man, I still got this credit card debt. I got to get paid off. And I, I want to, you know, how, how do you, how do you answer that? Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing, um, I think many people underestimate the, the, just the power and the benefit of tension, right? So if you think about kind of muscles in the human body, like all of our muscles are in tension and hence they're able to move, right? So obviously if they're kind of stressed to the point or kind of rigid to the point where it does, it's not flexible anymore, then yes, then like my hammy is tight, I can't go for a run kind of thing. So mm -hmm. by all means, like it mm -hmm. can be a bad thing as well, but when it works, when tension generally works kind of as nature intends it, like it causes kind of you know, forward motion or motion at least. So I think that's the first kind of my starting point with tension. Um, what I 
kind of an, the interesting story here is when we, my publishing team and I set out to, you know, to write the book, like one of the th first things they do, like you do in many businesses, is you create this kind of your ideal kind of reader avatar. Yes. And like one of the things we define Gina, right, as a kind of, you know, entrepreneur and a single mom, like with a kiddo back home that has a never ending to do list. And she can't get ahead, right, because of that tension that you speak about. Like it's like she wants to be present at home, but the business just doesn't grow enough, right, for her to get to that point where she can actually be present at home. So she's you know, constantly juggling these things. And the way I try to kind of create life profitability, not just the concept in the latter stage of the book, there is actually kind of a process with some worksheets to help individuals like follow or discover their own life profitability. And for me, the key there, Brian, is I didn't want to add to Gina's to-do to, you know, to list, right? Because I knew that that was probably not going to get her kind of to, to make progress towards whatever she defines as her kind of, you know, life profitability. Right. So what I propose in the book is firstly kind of small steps, right? And that those initial kind of small steps are probably very kind of, you know, very close to, to Gina, right? So things that are very aligned to her, um, whether that's kind of her values or just something that comes more naturally, right? So, so going back to that kind of core of who she already is. So not trying to change that, just trying to embrace that. And then the idea and the kind of process is you use that space that you can find, that initial bit of wiggle room. You reinvest that in things that are life profitable. Mm -hmm. And theoretically, if you do that, and I, it's not necessarily just reinvesting in the business. It might be that for Gina to create space in that situation, she needs to kind of you know, pick up exercise again because that creates more physical energy for her to do other things, right? But the idea is then is once you have space, use that space, reinvest it elsewhere until you know until you get to a point just like you do in business with you know with profits where you can reinvest part of the profits back into the business for growth, right? And you can distribute part of those profits into your life. So that's the idea is like find the space, invest it in things that creates more space until you have kind of I wouldn't say abundance, but until you have sufficient space that you can really go diverse in terms of like to where you now redistribute those extras, where there's space, resources, or kind of just literally kind of financial profits in the narrow sense of the word. That's so that's really, really helpful. It feels very practical. I, I really liked your the analogy of the the human body too. Um and you know the difference between tension and full-on rigidity, stiffness. Um, that 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 image completely connects for me. I mean, I'm I'm in the the throes of this situation right now of of feeling like, um, you know, I've had I had a, a really nice you know startup success and uh, you know some some numbers of years ago, um, and have been trying. Yeah, I have. I've been trying so hard to to recreate that you know and not only recreate it but you know double it um because yeah before that we had less money than we have right now um and in some ways less stress but on balance i would not go back you know like to ha to not have resources or to have them uh yes i will raise my hand and i will have those resources i think the 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 great thing about your book is is this the phrase of life profitability and thinking very, very hard about, okay, how much is enough? How much more do I need? And what am I willing to trade for it? Um, 
and and you and you talk about the the concept in the book about um, enough and growth for growth's sake. And at some point, you got to stop. At some point, you have to say, okay, this this is this is good. Can you talk a, a bit about how you think about growth and how how much growth do you need for it to be sustainable? And anything above that contributes to your life profitability. How how do you think through how how, how you do that for yourself and how would you advise other entrepreneurs to think about yeah. growth? Yeah. So, I, I mean, and admittedly, sometimes I do it very poorly, right? And I get, <laughs> so I, I get sucked into the vortex again. I'm like, why is this thing not growing 50% month over month? Like, where is that hockey stick? Like, I'm not seeing it. Um, so I don't always do this really well. I think the things that... Um, so growth itself, by the way, I, like I, I'm not trying to badmouth growth. I think growth is important, right? right. Like you're, you're part of kind of your be like being a learner is to grow. Like I want to grow as like the AD I am today. Like tomorrow's AD should be better, right? Like that is always something that I aspire to. I think the key thing with growth though is that it should not be growth at all costs where, because that's literally like growth at all costs is the definition of cancer, right? You know, cells just just growing, you know, becoming cancerous and that's not good for us either. So we, we and again, like I think, you know, back to kind of the muscle analogy, right? Like we see so many of these phenomena, we see them in kind of in nature, right? As, and they're universal laws and yet we tend to ignore them, right? So I don't think growth at all costs is good. What I do think is good is if you can grow and you are very clear about what that growth means, right? And for me, that growth, you know, coming back to kind of, if you grow for to serve or to kind of improve your own life profitability, that makes sense because the big part of life profitability is like figuring out and being aware of what your highest values are and also what kind of the costs are to accomplish those things. Because mm-hmm. I think if those if those things kind of not necessarily balance each other out, but if if you're realistic in your assessment about what this means, I think what you're ultimately getting is you're kind of, you know, going back to kind of Maslow's hierarchy, right? You're getting more of those kind of things, you know, kind of ticked, right? Which ultimately means like you're a happier you, which means you're a better entrepreneur, which means you're better for your business, right? But I think like having that clarity about what is truly important and then growing towards those things, like that comes first. The business success is almost not a com- like it's obviously not a complete byproduct. I'm not suggesting don't do email marketing, for example, just focus on life profitability, <laughs> right? Um, but like that's the way I at least philosophically think about it. Like you, mm-hmm. you do your work, you focus on your life profitability, you make sure that that ripples out from yourself to your team, to your family, to your communities, and then eventually it has this kind of roundabout way to kind of, you know, where you bring it back into your business as well by being a better a better you, a better Brian, a better AD, a better Benedict, right? Mm-hmm. That's how I think about kind of growth. Mm-hmm. That's good. Benedict, don't let me, I will hog 100% of this conversation and keep 80 for that's, an hour past our time because I'm totally loving this conversation. Fun. But what, what, you, I mean, you're, you're struggling with this too, man. What, what, are, what are your thoughts? Yeah. Um, I mentioned it to you, uh, this to you, Adi, uh I guess in, in an email yesterday. I, I I read this book and it sparked a lot of thoughts because, like, over the last year or so, and that's it's probably also because of COVID and all the other shitty things that happened in the world. Like, work has been my escape from everything in a way. And now reading your book, I was like, huh. Right now, there's not much left other than work. Like. I mean, I enjoy time with my uh, fiance and uh, 
that's nice and stuff but other than that like there's not much going on anymore <laughs> and that so it was a little bit of a wake-up call in, in that regard that i should probably think more about like what i what what i am outside of work or even like just disconnect from work because like it can't be just all work at all at all times and uh even though it's uh, i enjoy it uh at least sometimes <laughs> um and, but and i guess and i guess by the way anything like just to say like i think that's the hard bit for many people right is yeah. like that's our uh, we attach so much of our identity to the thing that we do the thing that we work on right and it is significant right we spend if you're kind of have a healthy kind of you know work schedule, you're spending, you know, 40 odd hours a week kind of working, right? So it's a significant part of our lives, but we kind of get a, kind of it muddied by attaching our, you know, identities to it. Um, and I've struggled with that, right? Like I've asked yeah. myself, like, you know, if AD is not the entrepreneur, right? If AD sells his business and he does not start a new one, like what is AD, right? And um, like, th I don't have a great answer for that, except for saying that I will probably always be part entrepreneur, right? Regardless of what I actually do, it's just something that I identify yeah. with. But I think, like, th that's the hard part there. And I think part of that reason is, you know, work and ambition, it, it's just generally more predictable than what life is, right? And because especially if you have fewer humans in those kind of processes, right? Like it's just, it's just more, it's easier generally, right? It's not without its challenges, of course, but it's like, it's within our control and I'm using air quotes there, right? For, for listeners that can't see, see me using air quotes. So it's within our control. So it's easier. Hence why work becomes an escape. I was there, like I was there, you know, especially in the first couple of years when AD Junior was born, like work was my escape. I wasn't productive necessarily, but it was my escape because it was easier. It was predictable. Yeah, yeah. And the other th thing that I've been that I've been noodling on since reading the book is um, user list isn't profitable yet, and that makes it super hard to. I mean, as much as I agree with everything we write in the book, it makes it super hard to. Yeah, just justify to just even think about it because it feels like the moment I move my focus away from from the business and from work, like my effectiveness on that part decreases a bit, or I, I if the guilt increases or whatever. Like it feels like I have a problem there that I need to solve first before I can focus on anything else. Mm -hmm. Which, mm -hmm. I mean. You're probably going to say that this isn't true <laughs> and there's there's a middle ground there, but it makes it, at least from an emotional standpoint, so much harder to uh, to not focus 100% on work all the time. Yeah. Don't you think I'll, I'll actually just throw a question out there? I won't even kind of um, <laughs> have an opinion. Like, don't you think, though, that that, um, that perspective and that story is just one that we so often hear that it's just become the most prevalent one, right? We, we've yeah. never really, we've never really tested alternatives, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You, you, you might be right. Uh, just it feels super hard with a decreasing bank balance on the business. Mm -hmm. um, I, so I, th I think you're you're totally right, Adi. That that it is that is definitely the most prevalent story. It also feels pretty rational you know for 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 benedict in his position to say well i can either give more of my focus and attention to this thing or i can give less of it to this thing 
rationally speaking, if you give something more of your focus and more of your time, it's going to you you have a you have a better chance of of breaking through. You have a better chance of of improving it as opposed to letting something sit aside and, you know, uh decay. So maybe that's why it isn't tested maybe that's why the the notion of of overwork during a certain period of time is is the conventional thought yeah and and again like i, I i'm definitely holier than thou in that sense like i have i've overworked myself right in the past um i like even in this week right the launch week as we're recording here is launch week sure. for me right and i'm like I, i'm i'm doing the book i'm working on the first version for for cogsy which is my new SaaS, right and i'm closing yeah. a, a kind of a, a seed round of funding right and i I do those things because at this stage like everything is going mostly well there's a lot of energy um i feel momentum and I do it again, right? So I'm not holier than thou in that sense. And I agree, Brian. I think, you know, and to Benedict's point, like that perspective is the rational one, right? Um, I, and again, I, I somewhat stumbled into this notion that there might be an alternative accidentally. And kind of, I, I tell the story in the book and the shortened version thereof is in 2016, um, just as I gotten kind of literally stumbled into mindfulness as the rest of my kind of life fell apart, I mm. also set myself a very ambitious goal because that's the only way to do things um, in the world of AD is to run a sub four marathon, which which I kind of ended up doing. And I uh, did it in Berlin. Very special kind of moment for me. It was my first marathon, ran almost 2000 kilometers that year. And what literally happened that year was I was so like, I was, I, I was literally running for nine hours, like actual running time was about nine hours, uh, kind of a, a week, right? Eight, nine hours. Um, that excluded like recovery time. I was, I was just in pain, like all the time. I'm, I yeah. don't know, like anyone, anyone that's met me knows that I've, I'm a big hunk of South African meat. I do not have a kind of little, <laughs> kind of, you know, slim down kind of your literally kind of you know, Ethiopian runner, runner's yeah. body. I'm not, yeah. I'm not that kind of African, right? Um, and I was just in pain all the time. And what ended up happening is I had physically had no choice but to re kind of just release a bit of that control or tight grip that I had on the business. I had to step away a little bit. And what ended up happening, and again, like I, I'm, I'm connecting dots here without saying that, you know, kind of, you know, because X is true, Y is also true. What also happened that year was that was our best year and kind of the whole of Convergio's kind of journey in terms of growth, in terms of kind of the good work we did. And again, like maybe that's just a sample size of one here, right? Um, but I think, I just think that there are other ways of doing this um, that like, isn't just a, just that kind of the prevalent rational kind of you know, you know, uh, paradigm that we're, we've become so used to. Right. And again, mm -hmm. like, I think like Benedict, I mean, you, you've probably experienced part of this, right. Whereas, you know, five years ago, like you would have been, you know, kind of, you know, completely blasphemous for, for raising a bit of money. Right. Yet kind of, you know, in, in 2020 and kind of, you know, beyond, we have these kind of you know, bootstrapper funds now, right. It's like there's this alternative way of doing things. It's not venture capital anymore. It's a different way. It's a different way to kind of how you would bootstrap or self-fund a business, kind of a software business 10 years ago. So like, I'm just, again, like just making a case here for saying, firstly, I don't have all the answers about what those alternative ways might be, but I think that there are probably alternative ways. And again, like I think those alternative ways of approaching this probably lies very specifically close to our individual cores, right? Like I don't think like I can, I could probably illuminate 
things for you. I'm not suggesting you should try and run a sub for kind of you know, a marathon if that's not your jam, right? That, that's um, not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so, but but it's, it's there might be something else, right? Um, that again, like works towards that notion of how do you create that space that you know perhaps is about creating space and you take that extra space and energy and you still use the time and focus you have on user list and but it's a kind of it's a different energy right it's a renewed energy it's a more productive or more effective or kind of more accurate energy almost um anyway that that's like mm -hmm. those are some of the kind of at least ideas that I hope to inspire with the book. As I said, I, I mentioned earlier, like the last thing that I wanted to do was write a how-to book. I don't think that there is a specific recipe here for anyone. I really just wanted the book to be this kind of, it kind of almost like if you think lighthouse that just shines kind of the lights on things that people don't necessarily consider otherwise because they haven't heard those narratives. I, yeah. I think that, I think that is where it's really successful as a book is because, you know, the, the, the needle to thread there is yes, things are extremely, it's, it's really, really hard to build a business. It's extremely difficult and requires a, a lot of time and focus. It's also true that when you are, when you're relaxed, when your mind is calm um, or when your, your actual body is not tensed up, then you're actually more likely to get the results that you that you're striving for, that you're putting yourself through all of this suffering for. I'm a huge baseball fan, and so you know the the image I imagine is it's the bottom of the ninth in the World Series, and this all star hitter you know steps up to the plate, and they're just completely you know tensed up and squeezing the you know squeezing the bat with all of the, that's not going to go well, yeah. you know. And that is the position as entrepreneurs we often put ourselves in is a really important at bat, and we're just squeezing the thing with these white knuckles. And, yeah. and your, your book addresses the, the concept that, you know, to resolve that, it's actually a lot of mindfulness and philosophy and calm. Are, so, and so, you know, one, one question I wanted to ask is, you know, to, back to the idea that it's, it's just completely sprinkled with all of these, you know, wonderful quotes and, and philosophies on life. Are there, are there a handful of books that you were reading while you were writing this one that were particularly influential? Yeah. Um, oh, there, there, there's a whole bunch. Um, uh, what comes to mind? Um, so I think all of Ryan Holiday's books, by the way, like for anyone that wants to get into the Stoics, some philosophy there, like read Ryan's books. Like I think that's a very, like very modern, like easy kind of way to get into it. Um, I also subsequently read kind of the likes of Seneca, Aurelius, mm -hmm. um, like loads of those I also read. Um, but Ryan's books like was, was very helpful there. Um, uh, Paolo Coelho, um, um, alchemist. I like it's a kind of worldwide bestseller for the last like you know seven hundred years or whatever. Like Paolo has been alive, right? Uh, and I only read that like I think two and a half years ago. Beautiful book, um, Siddhartha by Herman Hesse. Um, you very much kind of you know read that alongside um, alongside you know the alchemist. I think both of those are because both of them are about journeys, right? Um, so they were great. But then I also went like. Totally kind of different path. I read um, Andre Agassi, the tennis player's uh, book, Open, right? Yes. Where he speaks about those kind of hardships and like, you know, how he absolutely loves this thing and then he hates it and then he mm -hmm. loves it again, right? Um, so like those are just, you know, a couple that kind of really, really springs to mind. And then like within all of those, um, like there's just 
kind of there's loads of poetry that I read. Um, I especially like um, Young Pueblo, um, and he writes a book. Something it's something the book is, he only has a single book, um, like very kind of your know, popular contemporary you know, poets, and he also writes you know kind of loads of these things about kind of you know coming back to yourself first, right? Because and he did like I think um, I believe if I remember correctly, I, I use one of his poems in the book where it essentially says like you know I I can only and I'm butchering this like I'm. I'm, I'm definitely not a poet of someone else's words, but this idea that I can only give to you um, what I already have within myself. Like if I don't have that thing, like I can't give it to you, right? So again, that notion of like the journey should be inwards first. That's the book's name, Young Pueblo Inwards. That's what um, the poetry is called. So anyway, like those are a couple that you know, come to mind. Um, and I really try to be very diverse in that kind of your know, reading. Um, like I almost read no business books for kind of, mm. you know, about a year um and at that stage i mean i've i read less in the last year but i mean for about two years there i i read about 100 books you know books in each year um and i said i really tried i would probably say like 20 percent of them were would be classified as proper business books um just because I, like, again like i think i think there's there's ideas here that we're missing there's ideas out in the world that have been proven in a non-business context and yet we haven't tried them within the you know, business context because we're so kind of very narrow about how we measure that. I mean, Benedict, by the way, like the idea that sparked, um, you know, in, in kind of you telling that rational story of focus and user list and not being profitable, right? So firstly, I 100% I get that, right? I've had to shut businesses down because I, could, like, I couldn't make them work financially. I would, I think part of how I would define life of the village for you is that whilst it would really, really suck for you and Jane, like if user list didn't work out, right? Yeah. I would I would think, for example, like, and if you had to shut this down, like three months down the line, whatever the case is, this doesn't work out in this business and you shut it down. I would still think that just the impact that you guys, you know, as individuals have had, had you know, in the lives of those, just, just people that I know, right? The communities that we kind of operate in, right? Like it's already been beneficial. It's not like it's financially sustainable as a business, right? But it also empowered or enabled so many other things, right? And I said that that again comes back to that tension of, you know, it's shit. Like if if my business fails and I have to shut it down, like that is a really really tough point in anyone's life, right? But that is should not be death in its own right, right? Because again, like work is not life in that sense, and you guys have created so much other kind of life or just, just life, which created so much life, so much positivity, right? That if you kind of netted that out, it is probably life profitable, right? So like, that's how I would kind of expand, just expand the context and expand the way we define, even define measurements. And again, I, I didn't say these things to be glib, right? I understand that for a business to exist, like unless it's a charity and someone's gonna pour money into this thing forever, it needs to be profitable eventually, right? I get that. I also just, as I said, I also just think that there's, even in that sense, there's a way to be life profitable if the business is not there. That's a good thought. I really like that. <laughs> I mean, you said this in the book, it's easy to just like um, go back to like the, the traditional metrics of like uh, profits and revenue and stuff like that. But ultimately, I mean, that's not all of the stuff we create by building businesses. It's also... All the people we help maybe run their businesses and stuff like that and it's hard to attach like a measurement to it but it's still yeah it's still 
happen and it's still a good thing i guess yeah yeah, yeah right and if, if, if i can just imagine guys that you know years ago when we didn't have social media right and the news wasn't purely reporting on you know this business raising that and this business having revenue of that mm -hmm. and there wasn't a kind of a public stock exchange none of these metrics matter right we also only invented them for because of capitalism right and again like the universe doesn't exist just for capitalism to exist, right? Mm -hmm. Capitalism is merely a lens, you know, or kind of a functioning system in which we kind of operate or self-organize um, as a kind of new human race. But that is, again, like capitalism is not the human race, right? That is not the human condition. Like it's something that we created. So these metrics are also things that we chose. Hence why I think like, again, I, I, I've said this often here in this conversation, I think a big part of life profitability is going back to yourself, right? Like, what do I actually need to live here? I do not need capitalism, right? Like, I need kind of water and I need food, right? And I probably need family, right? And yes, money probably needs to buy me some of those things, right? But I don't need capitalism in its own right. So I also probably don't need the metrics attached to that. But somewhere we've decided, again, like this universal consensus almost that, you know, certain metrics are important and we will keep measuring ourselves with that. And again, if you want to grow your business, by all means, track your MRR, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but that's a very kind of narrow and specific metric for a specific cause. I like in terms of kind of, you know, how you chart your journey in your life. I just think that there's so many different things that you could be like, and again, when I say you, like each of us can be measuring and they won't get reported on. Nobody, unfortunately, Benedict will write kind of a story about yeah. how many people's lives you touch. Right. Or it's unlikely because that people just we also, you know, again, like different tangent, but media doesn't report on those good news stories. Right. Media reports on things that kind of gets them more news. So um, but again, we could probably do that for ourselves. Right. We could probably start setting a different context and, you know, giving ourselves some space and measuring ourselves a little bit differently. Hmm. Well, there's been a incredibly uh, fascinating conversation. Um, our guest today has been ADPNR. The book is called Life Profitability, The New Measure of Entrepreneurial Success. Run out, grab yourself a copy. Uh, it'll it'll do your heart some good. AD, thanks so much for joining us today. Jens, thanks for having me. And thanks for a fun conversation, by the way. Like, you asked me many things that put me on a whole different path. And some of these things, by the way, like, I, I had to make mental notes. Like, if I ever write a second edition here or just a second book, like, I, I totally need to kind of better explain that or just expand that. So thanks for, for the really fun and stimulating and life profitable conversation. Our pleasure. Indeed. Thanks for, thanks for coming on. Thank you.